I've always wanted to preach to a balcony. Hallelujah. Okay, well, you heard I'm Uncle Jeff, Wim Jeff, as they call me now. And uh, it's a great privilege to be with you guys. I've heard so much about this congregation. You're not half as good as Weinberg, but you're getting there. <laughs> I'm just saying that. I'm joking. That was very good, eh? Lovely worship. Thank you, the worship band. I'm joking, so you don't, it's not serious. It's okay. <laughs> so, um, I got saved in 1974. And supposed to, you're supposed to say amen, not laugh. <laughs> And I was saved into a very traditional, legalistic kind of church. And while I was worshiping, I felt God say to me, I must tell you that as a group of people, you are standing on the shoulders of people who've gone before you to bring you this liberty. When I got saved, I'm serious, we... The people were so narrow-minded they could look through a keel with both eyes. <laughs> to dance in church was unheard of. To have a sound system in church was unheard of. To my shame, I fell into that trap. And Youth for Christ wanted to come and do something in our church. And I said... No sound system. I was a deacon. We had so many deacons. We were deacon-possessed, I think. Can you, can you just turn that fan and blow me? Yeah, thank you. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... Thank you. And... Is it your legs they're whistling at? Gee, really? Nice. And, and we... We didn't... We, we knew, but we didn't know the more of God that we thought we knew. And we're a church that goes to the nations. We're a church that plants congregations. We're a vibrant church. We're a church of the word and the spirit. We're a church that wants to see people saved. We're a church that is passionate I want more of you, God. I'm an old guy. I want more of God. But when I got saved, we didn't know those things. We, I went to my pastor. I said, there must be more. He said, go and pray. And I, all I did was pray. And nothing. And I prayed. I didn't know why I was praying. I didn't know what I was praying for. Because nobody helped me. Thank you very much. Um, understand that there's a realm of the spirit that we never tapped into. We never, we never got there. If I mentioned the Holy Spirit, the older folk in the church, and I'm one of them now, gee, it was like, <laughs> it was like, you, you just don't mention him. I mean, he was not even a him. It was it because he was an unknown entity in the church. And I'm not saying I'm the guy that fought for you, but my era fought when we got the truth to break strongholds in church life and to break away from tradition and start churches like Joshua Generation. And you know what? It's hard work. This man will tell you, Leonard will tell you, Pastor Leonard. It's, it's hard work. But it's such a joy to come to a congregation of young people, dare I say that, including all of you who are a little bit older. And you're just passionate about God. You know what that does for an old guy like me? That just blesses my heart. Kind of makes me think, I think I'm going to come to Stellenbosch. Because I want to feel, <laughs> I want to feed off your enthusiasm. I want to feed off your, your life. God has put things in our lives as older people. But it's, it's, it's taken hard work. 
I planted a church with my late wife in Musenberg called the Bay Community Church in 1993. We were, we were laughed at because we were a church of the Spirit. I mean, we used to sing a song, anything can happen, and it probably will. And it did. <laughs> it, we, we, I was asked after 15 or 18 years, they said, won't you just write, kind of just document what you did, how you did this. And genuinely, I sat down and I started to think, so how did we do this? And I don't know how we did it. Because we wanted to be led by the Spirit. And I, when I think back to when I got saved and to what God did in my life to allow me to hear Him and to be led by the Spirit, at the cost of people genuinely ridiculing us, saying, if you go to that church, all that ever happens is they pray for you, you land on the floor, people laugh, people cry, people get drunk, people get all sorts of funny things in the Spirit. But God owned it because God was doing a new thing amongst people. And so I want, to, I want to come from that premise, and I want to help you understand my journey a little bit. So I want to speak to you tonight about the power of the cross and the power of Pentecost. The power of the cross. And at the cross, that's where, sorry, I don't have a, a computer or laptop. I have books because I still like to write. You know, write with my own hand. I, I really like that. The cross has power because of this. Because our sin debt is paid at the cross. So Jesus took our sin upon himself. If you can imagine a man hanging on a cross and people... And let me explain this to you. That the cross wasn't up there... He was at this level. So people walking past could slap him, could spit on him, because that's what the Bible says they did, pull his beard. And they ridiculed him. And he said this, Father, forgive them, because they don't know. And once you didn't know, and once I didn't know, but now I do know, and I hope you know, the cross is the power to pay your sin debt. It's the only way the debt could be, have been paid. It demonstrates his love for us. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's an echo. Is there something on? Mm. Sounds like somebody's beating a drum. Come on, that sound guys. Look like you really know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Oh, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, there he is there. Okay. There's just this boom. Is it my bad voice? I come from the Eastern Cape. Really. Anything's possible. That's, that sounds better. That's, and it's still there. It's the place where love, the cross, it's the place where love and justice meet. It's the only place on the planet where love and justice could meet. They're not, that's not two people, justice and love. But the love of God and the justice of God could meet at the cross and reconcile. Because you know what we deserved. But Jesus. But Jesus. So love and justice met. It's the place where the wounds of our sin are healed. The amazing thing is it doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what you've done. God will say, if you ask him, he'll say, you're forgiven. And I'll set you free. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've seen. doesn't matter. God will forgive you. That's the cross. We delivered from the penalty of sin. We delivered from the power of sin. And Jesus, as we know, was our substitute. He took our place. This is a story of a man, during Napoleon's time, men were drawn by lot to go and serve in the army. Now, in my day, we had um, conscription. We had to go to the army. And I went to the army. And I went and fought on the border. It sounds like I was really a... But that was what we did. And so, 
a man was conscripted to go, and he was drawn by lot to go to the war. And his friend came to him and said, listen, bud, you're a married man with two kids. I'm a single man. I will go for you. I will take you. I'll go. You, it, you can't go. You can't go. So he did. He went to war. And he got killed in the war. And then they drew the lottery thing again to get men to go to war. And the guy that was drawn the first time was drawn the second time. And he said, no, but hang on. I, I was drawn the first time, but I didn't go because my friend went for me. So you can't, I can't go again because actually I'm dead. Because my friend died in my place. And they said, okay, then you don't have to go. And you don't have to go to all the nonsense that you've been through. You don't have to continue in that because this man called Jesus, he died for you. He did it for you. I want to, I'll get get to my scriptures. Shame, she's sitting there very patiently. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get to them all. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Must have that one. So this is an amazing scripture. So when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that the curtain in the temple, the old King James Version says it was rent in two. It was torn. Now the curtain wasn't a curtain like you've got in your room, that thin little thing that you hope nobody can see through when you put the light on at night. This was, this was an incredibly heavy curtain. And it separated the Holy of Holies where the priest, the high priest, went in once a year and the holy place. And there was this thick curtain. And the Bible says on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, the, tur- the turtle, the curtain, <laughs> the turtle was corn, the, cordon, the curtain, the curtain was torn. <laughs> the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And you know what, what the problem was? The, the Holy of Holies was exposed to the ordinary man on the street and woman. And they could look in and see the Holy of Holies, which was taboo. That, in the Old Testament, you remember Isaiah? Isaiah, we all know the story of, you know, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, send me. But before that, it says this, Isaiah says, I've seen the Lord. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he said that because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, if you saw the Lord, you're a dead man. No man can see God and live. That's what the Bible says. You, you, they couldn't see God. And, and Isaiah had seen God, and he knew, I'm, I'm a dead man. But then the angel took that coal and burned his lips and sanctified him. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn. It was a veil, thick veil. People say that the priests tried to sew it back up because this totally destroyed their religion. And Jesus didn't come just to rock the boat. Jesus came to turn the boat over. He totally, totally changed the way we see things. And this scripture, sorry, I'm there now, 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, we, we are not like Moses. You remember when Moses, sorry, I'm going to talk again now, and the scripture will say that. Moses went up the mountain, and he came down, and his face was glowing, shining. He had a veil on his face, but he hide the, the glorious glow on his face from the Israelites. And it says this, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ can it be taken away. I was at a boarding school from when I was a little guy, and I learned the Bible. I learned Psalm 121, Psalm 23. I learned them off by heart. I I never knew what they meant. I knew the shortest verse in the Bible, which is? Sorry? Yeah, but where? Don't tell me Jesus wept. Oh, no, don't. You must give me chapter and verse, love. Where is that? I knew where that was. You can go look for it later. I'm not going to give it to you. Just look it up. 
It says, it says this, it has not been removed because only in Christ. So I was dead, I was blind, I could not see spiritually. But at the cross, at the cross, Jesus, that, that curtain was torn. And he opened up a new and living way for me. And I could enter in and speak to God. Personally, unheard of. When the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, you pray like this. You say, Father. They said, what? How can you call God Father? Those are the things that my generation have fought for you to grasp and understand. We can say that because that's what the Bible says. Because tradition held us in a place where we didn't know our God like we can know our God. And we do know our God today. And Jesus tore the curtain. Then it says, even to the sorry, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's from that word tonight. How do I get more of God? I'll tell you how. You've got to keep going to the cross. Because I wear a cross around my neck and my wedding ring. And I wear two covenants around my neck. My wedding ring, I made a covenant with my wife on the day we got married in 1971. <laughs> and I said to her, I will love you until one of us dies. And then the covenant is over. So the covenant has been Done, it's over. So I hang that around my neck and I hang a little cross around my neck because that's an eternal covenant. And it reminds me that God made an eternal covenant with us. One that will never, ever end until the day we meet him face to face. Amen? Okay. So, you can put Ephesians chapter 3 up, please. So Paul writes to the Ephesians. That's just an introduction to you. You must understand... You're in a very, very privileged place. You, you are very privileged to belong, not, not because I'm in Joshua Generation. You're privileged to belong to a church like Joshua Generation that wants to make, take ground for God. You've heard of Reinhard Bonke. You heard of Reinhard Bonke, that German evangelist? Yeah. He said, God saves you from the guttermost to the uttermost. He said, you were swimming in a sea of beer and a sea of fear, but God has redeemed you. And God has done that. But how do I know him? How do I get to know him? You see, the cross opens for me the ability to know God. And when I know God, I start producing fruit, which is in keeping with who Jesus is. I planted an apple tree once. I'm very grumpy with, uh, with my wife because she'd said, you know, I need to plant it when I'd come home from somewhere quite late. And I was digging in the garden. I was a very unhappy chap. And I planted the apple tree. I never once spoke to that apple tree and said, you, in the name of Jesus, you, you produce apples. Because that's what apple trees do. And Christians are supposed to produce the fruit of the Spirit automatically. It just is who we are. We, we grow love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and long-suffering and self-control. That grows. That should be part of... And when it's not doing that, I go back to the cross. I keep going back to the cross. You see, I wear a cross around my neck. When my wife died, people said this to me. They said, shame. It's just the cross you have to bear. That's your cross you have to bear. That's nonsense. That's what, that's what we are saying when people say, well, you know, shame your cross. When Jesus said, pick up your cross or take up your cross and follow me, what he meant is, I want you to come die. The cross speaks of death. So I go back to the cross when I'm not walking like I know I should. I go back to the cross because there's life. There's the hope I have. It's in the cross. The cross, the power of the cross. That Jesus died on the cross and rose again. 
The power of the cross. I go back. I keep going back to the cross. I realign myself at the cross. I get myself into focus again with God. At the cross. At the cross. At the cross. It's where I first saw the light. I keep going back. I keep going back. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Sorry, we're not on the same page here. What version have you got? ESV. We all have our problems, eh? (laughs) Sorry. It says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and this I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Now, when we get born again, we get rooted. We get planted. Now, if I plant you two guys with the masks on, and what's your name? James. Jade. Jan. (laughs) Yaku. Jade and Yaku. So I plant Jade and Yaku, and you two, you my two trees, and I plant you. And both of you are rooted when I plant you. But if I don't care for you, if I don't disciple you, and I don't help you and nurture you, one of you won't get grounded very well. If I just care for the one and not the other, I get grounded. The one gets grounded and the other one doesn't. And the fruit that the one that doesn't get grounded produces is not very good fruit. But if I, if I, if I nurture you and help you and ground you, you're rooted, you're growing, but you need to be grounded. That's what Paul says. You're rooted and grounded in the love of God. You're rooted and grounded. It's established. May have power that we may have power. He says, when you've been rooted and established, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then he says this. This is an incredible verse. He says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You students, how can you know something that you can't know? How can you know this love that goes beyond knowledge? How can you know that? Anybody has a guess? How can I know this love that surpasses knowledge? Don't you answer, Pastor. Or you, Estian. How can I know the love of God that goes beyond my able to know? talk up. Yeah, but how? The Spirit will just come and oh, hallelujah. No? Re- yeah, that's sort of. Relationship? Through the cross, yeah, but how? You see, we say, what I want to teach you is we say these things, it's easy. Oh, we know this love of God that's upon, oh, know the love of God. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you can't, you can't know it. It surpasses your knowing, yes. How do you experience it? Huh? You feel it. And then if you don't feel it? I'm, I'm just throwing it out there now. I want to, if there's one thing you're going to get tonight, it's this one. Okay, is seeing, believing in the Bible? What is... You believe first and then you see. Is that true? You don't see it. People say, oh, show me and I'll believe. No, 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 no. We say you believe and then you'll see. But how do I know the love of God that surpasses knowledge? You believe in it. Okay, we're getting very confused. I'll try and help you. (laughs) I'm not a Greek student. I know a little Greek and he owns a cafe down on the corner near me. And that's the Greek I know. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's a nice guy his name's Dimitri Frangopoulos if you're Greek I, I'm not uh, you know so this, this is what I would do. so I've got an, a, a Strong's Concordance and a Strong's Concordance is a big thick book and it's got every word of the Bible in it and then you look up the word in the thing, and then it tells you it can go to the Greek or the Hebrew, and that's what makes guys look good, because they quote the Greek and the Hebrew, and you think, wow. (laughs) Meanwhile, I've just got this big red book at home that's, you know, so big it can choke a mule, and I just just open it, and I read the book, I read it, and then I got the words, and then I come and I make out that I really know it, 
And you guys go, gee, he knew the Greek. That's amazing. So the Greek word for know, when Paul says that you may know, the Greek word is gnosko, which means this, experiential knowing. You do experience it, but how do you experience it? You experience it when the Holy Spirit brings revelation to you. That's why Paul prays for the Ephesian church in chapter 3. He says, I pray that he will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. You cannot know Jesus just by reading the book. You know about him. But you've got to ask God for revelation knowledge. Now that's not this knowledge. Because if it was, I'm a dead man. The only degree I've got is a B-A-D-D-H-G. And I'll, you can work that out for yourself. I'll tell you just now. You know, that's born again, double dose of the Holy Ghost, by the way. <laughs> we planted a church in a little town in the free state near where Estian comes from. In Bethlehem. And you know why Jesus didn't come from Bethlehem in the free state? Because they couldn't find three wise men. <laughs> so we planted a church in this little town called Clarence. Lovely little town. And the guy that went there, he, um, he was asked by a lady once, she said, so what qualifications do you have? So he said, what do I tell her? He didn't have any qualification. He just knew Jesus and was filled with the Spirit. I said, tell her you've got a B-A-D-D-H-G. So he did. And she said, ah, oh, wonderful. <laughs> and you can see how words can fool you from the pulpit. That's why you need to examine things that get said from you. Sorry, Leonard, but you do. You must examine the Scriptures. Don't just accept everything we say. So the Greek word means you know by experience. If you've picked up a coal out of the fire by mistake, you know by experience. If you've ever bribed marshmallows on a stick and one of them caught fire and you tried to put it out with your fingers, you know I'll never do that again because you get marshmallow burning on all your fingers and you don't know which one to blow out first. By experience, you've learned. You know by experience, if you put your fingers in a plug, you know by experience, I'm not going to do that again. That's experience. Paul is saying that he wants us to know this love of Jesus by experiencing it. He wants us to know that we know we know his love. He wants us to know that we know we know his love. Because when we know what we know, that becomes in the Greek gnosis. Gnosko. Gnosis, you know by experience. Gnosis means this, knowing that surpasses or exceeds or transcends or outshines or overshadows or puts in the shade and you can know the book. You can know it. I went to a camp once, a man quoted the whole of 1 Peter chapter 2. Didn't even read the Bible, he just quoted it. And then he preached. And it was like a savannah. It's dry, but you could drink it. He didn't know by experience. He just had knowledge. And Jesus, and Paul says to the, the, the Ephesians, uh, that, this, that you may know this love that surpasses just knowledge. That goes beyond. So I want to encourage you. You ask the Lord. You ask him, Lord, give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation. My pages are blowing. Chapter 1, Ephesians, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the only way we can get to know him. And we keep going back to the cross because the cross opens the door, opens the spirit realm for us to begin to produce fruit in keeping with our repentance and our likeness of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Now, some of you haven't been going to the cross very regularly. There are things that have crept into your life. And they're hindering you. You're rooted, but you're feeling you're not getting established like you know you should. And you know what it is. And God tonight wants to issue you a challenge. 
wants to say to you, I want you to come back to the cross. I want you to come back to the cross. Does that clock work? My clock, my watch says 20 to 3. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so now, wh what time do we go to? I'm quarter past seven. Lots, lots of time. Ach, you students, anyway. When you were Philistines, you know, you were getting ready to go out. Now, you know, you started going out at nine. And now we Christians, we go to bed at nine. <laughs> we go out at six and we're in bed by nine. Okay, so I want to say this to you. You know who you are. And I felt God speak to me and say this to you. Some of you have, these eyes of yours have seen things they shouldn't have. And you know that. And the flesh is so weak. Oh boy. And you warring inside of you. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm just telling you. And then there's some of you that have uh, been in situations where you have compromised. It's not the end of the world. We serve an amazing God. You go to the cross, that's where forgiveness is, at the cross. There's the power to forgive your sin. Do you know how far Jesus removes our sin from us? As far as the east is from the west. If he said as far as the north is from the south, you think global warming would have melted the poles? I tell you, our sin would have melted the poles long ago. But if it's east from west, you never get there. You go west, just, you just keep going. Go east, you just keep Wherever you go in the world and say, where's east? They'll say, there, there. Just keep going round and round. Never get there. That's the, that's, the, that's the amazing God we serve. So far, the psalmist says, has he removed our transgressions from us? So I want to take two minutes now. And I want us to, to be quiet. I want you to just bow your heads. And those of you, you know I'm speaking to, come back to the cross now. Let Jesus talk to you. And ask him, Lord, give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation that I will know you better. Two minutes. Let's just pray. You pray. I'm not praying. You pray. You ask him. You ask him. as we're praying, just stay like that and I pray, Father we're so grateful that even though you know our hearts, your love for us never wanes so grateful Lord that there's always a way out with you when we've offended you and sinned against you and I pray tonight that those whose eyes have seen things and even feasted on things that they shouldn't have, those that have got into compromised positions and done stuff they know, I shouldn't do this. As they come to you now, Lord, I pray your forgiveness will be their portion, Lord. Let it be, Lord, for your glory. We come again, Lord, and we bow before you and we gaze on your beauty, Lord, because we want to be changed from one degree of glory to another. And your word says, Lord, as we contemplate you, as we set our affections upon you, 
you change us. I pray you'll deliver us tonight. Deliver those, Lord. Deliver us. Set us free again to come, Lord, and not have to make it up or make it on or put it on, but to come with pure hearts and clean hands and know we can stand before you, our living God, our Savior, our sin bearer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, now there's the power of Pentecost. So the power of the cross opens up a realm of the Spirit, but the power of Pentecost, oh, On the day of Pentecost, they were bewildered, Acts 2.12, and sorry, it's not on there, I'm way off where I should be, but we keep going. It says this, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Never before in the history of humankind was there a day like the day of Pentecost. Never. Nobody had ever seen anything like it in their lives. They'd seen things, but on the day of Pentecost, it was chaos. Have you ever gone to a drunk and said to him, look, you got a few bob for me? I guarantee you, a good, a good, a good drunk will say, yeah, I'm sure I've got something, yeah. You know, you look. Because they're generous, you know, because they're drunk and they don't know what they're doing. That's why, Jesus, that's why Paul said to the Ephesians, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Because a drunk is generous. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're generous. You've got a generous heart. You want to give. You want to serve. You want to make it happen. And Pentecost opens a whole new uh, sphere of the spiritual for us. Never before, never before had they heard of the gifts of the Spirit. When I mentioned the gifts of the Spirit in the church I got saved in, the old lady's hair curled. They didn't have to go and get perms and purple rinses. It just, you'd mentioned the gifts. It was just, it was taboo. One old lady came to me. I'd got, I'd come to Cape Town on a course and I'd gone to, uh, I was, there was a weekend in between and I went to see a cousin of mine and I knew they were going to pray about the baptism of the Spirit. And I was, Worried about it, but I was hungry. As I said, I kept going to my pastor, please, you know, I need, I need more, more, more. I said, I'll phone these people. And he said, no, we'll come and fetch you. I was in town. They were living in Durbanville. And we went out, thought we'll have lunch, and then we'll watch rugby or something. Not a chance. And he just spoke to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I got baptized in the Spirit, spoke in tongues, phoned my late wife, said, lovey, you know what's happened? She said, I want it, I want it. I said, well, you're going to have to wait till I get home because I don't know who can give it in the town I'm living in. I don't know anybody like that. And then we told people in our church, and this is what one old lady said. She said, oh, you've entered into a very dangerous thing. You'll probably get divorced now. I'm, I'm absolutely serious because I'm speaking in tongues and I've experienced the life of the Spirit. Ooh. That's why I'm telling you you're standing on the shoulders of men and women that have gone before you that endured all that rubbish. Now you come in and dance and do the hallelujah hustle and whistle and shout and run around the place. And Listen, that was unheard of. I try to, you know, I get down on my knees and then I think, well, while I'm down here, I must see what else I can do because it takes quite a thing to get up again, you know. In my day, I mean, come on. You know, somebody had a pacemaker put in. He was sitting on the stoop, and this pretty girl walked past, and his pacemaker opened the garage door. <laughs> That's what happens to guys my age, you know. <laughs> I've, got, I've got stents. I had a heart attack. As my Indian friend said, hey, your heart attacked you. I said, yeah. I'm called the bionic bishop now. These things happen when you get older. But because of Pentecost, because of Pentecost, because of my experience of the Spirit, I don't care. All my aches and pains and whatever. I, I, God is more real to me than ever before. And I'm, I, I want that for you. I don't want to have to gone through all that and you say, and you come and worship. You know. we, used to sing, we used to sing a song in the church, um, In My Heart There, 
rings a melody, and I've changed that in some churches. I'd go to these traditional churches and preach, and I'd say, in my heart there grows a lemon tree. Because they, they look sour. They, you know, Christians are supposed to be the happiest people on the planet. I said this morning in Weinberg, you try and get a charismatic church. Guys, guys, we want to start. We want to, and there's just noise and buzz, and the preacher's talking. Nobody's listening, and everybody's just enjoying themselves. You go to a traditional church, and you look, you think, Hello? Hello? Nobody whispers, nobody says, everybody's quiet. They all go and they do this. And I often wondered what they do. Somebody said, no, they're probably just remembering the last thing they did last Sunday when they left, trying to catch up where they were. Because it's dead, there's no life. And Pentecost opens a whole new realm to gifts. And if you're going to go to the nations, you need, you need to be empowered to go to the nations. You can't go to the nations just with what you've got. And the disciples had to have something special because the people knew that Jesus, this Jesus was or could have been the Messiah. And they saw this Messiah being crucified. And the people said, that's rubbish. We believe in crucifixion and we believe in the Messiah, but to see the Messiah crucified cannot be the right thing. And then the apostles get up and say, this Jesus who you crucified is now alive. Who's going to believe that? Who's going to believe that? They needed empowering. They needed a new authority. And it came to them in the form of the Spirit. And God, Jesus told them that they would get it. You can get the 120 at no chance. I tell you, had no chance. You walk with somebody for three years he does mighty miracles. You claim him to be the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one who was promised. Peter stands up and says, this is that which was prophesied. And they knew the prophecy of Joel. They knew what to expect. It wasn't something new. They knew the prophecies. But because it came in a different way, oh, this can't be the... Now, to try and convince men and women that he was the Messiah and that he did come and that he did die and that he did rise again, you can't do that in the natural. They needed a supernatural experience of God. And so they came out of the upper room, and you know what the Bible says? They were like drunks. Have you ever been drunk in the spirit? Let me tell you a story to my embarrassment. There's an old lady in the church that I planted, and she used to make lemon juice syrup. And her treat for me was she would pour a little bit in a glass and then fill it up with water, and then it would be on the pulpit, and that would be my drink. And the one morning I got up, we had a lovely worship time. And as I stood behind the pulpit like this, I suddenly started feeling like I was drunk. I'm sure, no, I won't. I was going to ask who's been drunk before, but you're all Christians. You wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, you would? Okay. You know what drunk feels like? You just, you're not in control. And so I'm holding onto the pulpit, trying my best to look in control and I can feel myself going so I fall and I pull the pulpit with me. And this glass of lemon juice lands on me and then it's so sticky. And it's stick. my clothes are stuck. I'm lying on the floor. People think it's hilarious. And I've got this little radio mic on with this little thing. And I speak. I say, this is your pastor. I'm addressing you from the floor. <laughs> that was my sermon. And we had men, four of them, sitting right at the back coming to observe what happened in our meetings. And they said, I said, well, that's what happens. Now, could I explain that? I haven't any idea. I don't know why. Why did God do that? I don't know. But the experience of the Spirit cannot be, cannot be explained by the natural. God cannot be explained. We had a couple visit lovely guy with these two little kids came to the front, introduced himself, said we had new visitors. I said, wonderful to have you. And on that day, we had a big church. Everybody decided they'll run around. And they took off running and I leaned across to my wife and I said, they won't come back. And I, not the words hadn't come out of my, my mouth and he came past with his two boys. Yeah! <laughs> he was so excited. This for him was church. And the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, that's what people thought. What on earth is going on?
Luke chapter 24 and verse 45 to 49. You got that? This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two guys. You remember? They're walking to Emmaus. It's after the crucifixion. The Bible says they were downcast, miserable, talking. And then it says this, and Jesus came alongside them. Um, have you got to verse 49 with me? Have you got the rest of it? Okay, then he opened their minds and he started, just go back to 45, sorry. 45, 46, yeah. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Carry on, 46. And he said to them, this is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now here's the thing. The Bible says Jesus opened the scriptures to them. And he explained to them about what was happening. And they understood it. And then they said, you know that beautiful verse that everybody, well in my day, always used to preach on, did not their hearts burn within them as he opened the scriptures to them. But nobody ever asked, what was the burning? It wasn't heartburn. Their hearts were burning. It wasn't that they had too much pizza. Their hearts burned because the presence of God, Jesus, was so real to them that their hearts were awakened to them. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem to wait for the promise, the promise of the Father. Now, you must understand this. There are hundreds of promises in the Word of God. Hundreds. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise. The Holy Spirit is the best gift we can ever get. The promise of the Father. Go wait. Now today we don't wait for the Spirit because he's been poured out. They waited for him and he pitched up. And you know the story, they came out looking like drunk men and Peter sang the song, we're not drunk as you suppose, we're just filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and the people, the people was, couldn't understand because the same Peter who had denied that he even knew Jesus he hadn't gone to seminary, he hadn't studied, he hadn't done anything. The Spirit of God had got hold of him. And Peter preached. And 3,000 people got saved. When do you think Peter prepared for that? I always think, prepare? How did he prepare for that? Just supernatural. And he said, you have crucified the Lord of glory. And the power of the Spirit convicted men and women of their sin. And 3,000 got saved. You know the story. Jesus knew what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. And so he said, go wait. Go wait. Now here's the thing. He opened up the way for gifts. If you pray in tongues, I said to you, if you want to go to the nations, praying in tongues is your first gift. That's your weapon. Praying in the Spirit. That's, that's a weapon. That's a power weapon for you to go. Who's heard of Catherine Kuhlman? <clears throat> Catherine Kuhlman was a remarkable woman. Remarkable. Many mistakes. Many mistakes. She looked like a... I don't know what she looked like. She wore white gowns and she was very theatrical. And God used her to, for healing like you can't believe. Amazing, amazing healings. She prayed in the Spirit for eight hours before she went to a crusade. In the day before, she prayed eight hours in tongues. Now, I would hazard a guess that if I asked you to start praying now in tongues, let's try it. Can you do that? Let's just try it. Let's do an exercise. We'll pray for, it's half past seven, we'll pray for five minutes. Okay? Do you want to close your eyes? You can. And on the count of three, we'll go. One, two, three. Just begin it loudly. Pray out. Come on, I want to hear you. Come on, I want to hear you. Pray out. Pray, pray, pray. Now I want to hear you. I can't hear you. Come lift your voices. Come on, pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you did better than most. 
if I do that experiment with people after two minutes, learn to pray. You pray yourself into prayer. And it started happening. You're nice and quiet. Then after two minutes, it starts lifting because I'm getting into it now. Learn to use the gift of tongues if God has given you that gift. If he hasn't given you that gift, I would love to pray for you afterwards and ask God to give you the gift. Because that the Bible says, the Bible says that gift edifies you. It lifts you up. The Bible says your mind is unfruitful when you use that gift. In other words, you don't know what you're saying. Sometimes God gives you the interpretation because oh, it's gibberish, it's it's codswallop, it's nonsense. Well, of course the world will say that. Because it's a powerful weapon that God has given us. Now, if I speak in tongues in a meeting loudly, then obviously there must be an interpretation. But at home, in the car, we were just praying tongues. I had a phobia for lifts. Seriously, I'm a farm boy. Come from the farm, come into town. Oh, man, I hated lifts. All claustrophobic. I wouldn't pray out loud, you know, get into the lift. It's full. And then you empty the lift. Then I'm more scared because I'm on my own. Just pray under your breath, you know, and I just pray. And God helped me get rid of that phobia. My dad came into town once, didn't understand the whole story with lifts, and we were standing there, and this old lady got in the lift, and she pushed the button inside, and the doors closed, and off she went, and we watched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, amazing, and then seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and out walked this beautiful young girl. My dad said, go fetch your ma, bro. No, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to sleep, I can see. But, but it's important you pray in the Spirit. We're a spirit people. Having a physical experience on this planet for a bit. Some of us at this stage longer than others. But we spiritual. Pray, 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 pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. If you don't know what, pray. That's what the Bible says. He's given us this gift. You must ask. The Bible says if you eagerly desire spiritual gifts... They're for us. Imagine having words of knowledge for people. You're walking with people and God shows you something. I had a word of knowledge. I went to Somerset West. I had a word of knowledge about people folding their arms. Men. God has spoken to men and you've kind of folded your arms because you've thought, uh, amazing how many people came out. And I said, if they don't come out, the wives must bring them. Mistake. So this lady brings this guy. (laughs) She wants more for him than he wants for himself. You know, that kind of situation. She's got dreams for him that he doesn't have. And so I got into a real counseling session with my stupidity. But words of knowledge open doors. They open people's hearts. You get into people's things. You trust God. Go on. The, The power of Pentecost opens those things. Pray for the sick. Believe God. Believe God. I prayed for a couple. They came into our church late. They sat right at the back. And when they came in, this young boy, I could see he was squint. I was, I was busy preaching. And I felt God say, go pray for the kid. Now, it's quite a long way to the back. So I had a radio mic. So I said, I'm sorry, you've just walked in. I don't want to embarrass you. I, w- I walked to the back. I said, this is your son. Yeah. I said, he's squint. Yeah, no. That's why they've come to church. Because they're going to hospital tomorrow and they're operating. They can only do one eye at a time. And he's badly squint. I mean, you know, kind of like one eye looking at you and the other one looking to see if the bus is coming. That kind of serious. And so I prayed for him. Nothing happened. Now that walk back from there to the front is a long walk. Because in faith, I'm the man of faith and nothing happened. They went to hospital. They operated on the one eye. And while they operated on the one eye, the other one came right miraculously. Oh, then bring me the squints. I'll pray for him. We, we've got to, faith is spelt R-I-S-K when it comes to healing. You've got to take chance. If God speaks to you, do it. Do it. Oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. I've prayed for lots of people. I've seen lots of amazing healings. A guy phoned me, asked me to come to Pretoria to one of the townships. And I thought he wanted to meet me, so we had tea and we had a chat and we think he said, okay, we better go next door to the church, the people have gathered. I said, for me, he said, no, the man of God, you're the man of God, we're going to, you're going to preach now. Oh, really? Can I borrow your Bible, bro? Anyway, I preached whatever I did and then sick, now he said, you've got to pray for the sick. This lady comes forward, she's blind. 
One eye, she's blind. Put my hand over her eye, you know, professional. I know what I'm doing. Meanwhile, I'm crying, oh God, oh God, oh God. And I pray my best prayer. And I take my hand away, and this is what she says. Oh, that's better. I said, I beg your pardon. <laughs> so I said, are you sure she was blind? He said, she's been blind in that eye for eight years. My brother was sitting at the back. He's quite a traditional guy. When we got home, it was 11 o'clock. He started making supper. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm starving. I'm hungry. Because he had seen a miracle. And I'd seen a miracle. Because I was pushed into it. But this, the Pentecost opens doors for you. You're on campus, man. There are a bunch of Philistines out there. They don't know. And I'll tell you the way to get them is to use the gifts. To use the gifts. You've got an advantage. You've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Pray for words of knowledge. And then you can say things like, God will tell you, when you were 14, did you have an accident or something? Gee, Spirit, how do you know that? God just showed me. You kidding? That's the realm God wants us to be in. Can you say amen? The power of the cross. The power of Pentecost. We've worked hard. I love what's going on. I love your enthusiasm. I love your life. I really do. It's wonderful. I wish I could have life like you. In that sense. I've still got life. I'm going to live it. But I can't dance anymore because when part of me goes up, another part comes down. And when I'm coming down, another part's going up. So it's a bit messy. So I just... <laughs> you don't want to picture that, do you? If you, if you went to Jesus tonight because of things that you know you were wrong, you went to the cross, I want to assure you, if you asked him to forgive you, you're forgiven. But Jesus did say, now go and sin no more. And I'm saying to you, don't go sin now. Don't do it. Stop it. A lady came to me once and she said, will you please pray for me to stop swearing? I said, no. She said, why? I said, just stop it. What a stupid request. <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. So I said that on one of those early morning devotions we did. And Russell Fraser picked it up. He said, Jeff's got a new technique for counseling. Anybody comes to him and they ask him to pray. He says, no, just stop it. <laughs> it's not that. But there are some things, some things it's just self-control. You're just not controlling yourself. It's a fruit. And if it's not evident, you're not going back to the cross enough. Go to, go to the Pentecost. Go to, go to that day. Say, God, if you've never been prayed for for the baptism of the Spirit, I want to pray for you as well. I want to, I want to pray for you that God will touch you. So that what Paul wrote, and I'm finished now. I've gone on, sorry, man, it's a long time. But I only come once. And I make the best of it. I've, I've got to drive back to Cape Town now. Do you know that? I mean, yes, we've got a long way to go, eh? Um, what was I saying? Pentecost, power. You need that. You desperately need the anointing of the Spirit. So let's stand and I pray a prayer for you. I want to lift your hands, close your eyes. Lift your hands as a sign to God. Close your eyes. Lock into Him. Just close your eyes. Relax. Lock into Him. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to believe God to touch your heart, fill you. Don't be in a hurry. Another minute or two, just before him, the Almighty, the Wonderful One, Jesus. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for his glory for his sake won't you pour out your spirit right now on this people Lord pour out on them, fill them afresh Lord fill them afresh come Holy Spirit I pray come and pour out on them, come and fill hearts tonight empower people help us to keep going back to the cross Lord but help us to keep coming to Pentecost 
and asking you to fill us, to fill us, that we may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. We pray that for your glory, Jesus, for your glory. And everybody agreed and said, Amen.